As I remarked before service began, we are beginning the season of Epiphany. And what that means is for the next month or so, we'll be celebrating in various ways the way that God has best taught us what he's like through being a human being like you or me. And that means that we'll hear about his preaching and his teaching, his miracles and his signs, the way he suffers patiently and in a way that only a human could, but also patiently suffering in a way that only God can and that in a way that only we could strive to imitate. But for this morning, we go to Jerusalem. So if you can imagine yourself there, first century Jerusalem, tall, serious men wearing very unfamiliar clothes that look completely unlike anyone you've ever met. They come into the city gate in Jerusalem. And if you are there at the gate with your family, or maybe you're doing your job or etc., you, along with everyone else and their mother, you've stopped and you've looked at these people who have arrived, these foreigners, and they yell. They yell, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And everyone looks at them dumbfounded. And so they expand. We saw his star and it's rising. We have come to worship him. All right. So frame that. These foreigners you've never met before, never seen anyone like them. They come in. We've come to see the, this child born king of the Jews. So you've only heard rumors about this. Right? And then, you remember, you're in a monotheistic culture, and that takes blasphemy very seriously, right? Stoning. And they say, we're here to worship that king. Right? It's almost like they came, strike one, they said the first thing, strike two, they said the next thing, strike three. Right? And so it says in the Matthew account. Everyone was disturbed. King Herod and all of Jerusalem. Unrest begins. Games of telephone start. King Herod's freaked out. All right. We already know he's a neurotic guy. All right. So he usurped the throne from the line of David. All right. And then from the historical account, we know that he, he killed his wife because he was worried that she was trying to overthrow him. And then he killed his son. And then he killed his other son. And they stopped him before he could keep going. All right? That's how neurotic he was about losing his throne. And we'll hear today that he's going to, well, we don't see it in the text. It comes right after this. He's going to order that all boys under two in the area be killed as like a a dragnet to try to get make or get rid of any sort of person who could claim to be the king in his place. And who were these three wise men? 
I'm learning to try and call them as much as I can the three magi, or just the magi, because they're literally magicians. All right? You should think of them as scary, dark people, meaning they do dark stuff. All right? They look into seeing stones. They look into dark pools and try to discern the future. They look at the stars and they study their alignment and they try to predict what will happen. And they've been practicing magic, all sorts of esoteric things, astrology in the courts of Babylon in the Far East. Right? So it should be like spooky when you hear about them. Right? You and everyone that heard Matthew in all of history, all those people standing in the gate to Jerusalem should be freaked out, scared that these guys have shown up. Because these are the kinds of people, if you remember Daniel, from the book of Daniel, right? Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel and the three young men, the fiery furnace, right? That Daniel, the people who shanghaied him from Israel are Babylonians, right? During the exile. And the people who were in the court with him as he like, interpreted dreams for Nebuchadnezzar and his sons that did glorious things and miracles, who resisted his name being changed, who resisted eating the rich foods of Babylon, who was arrested for praying in secret, right? The people that made his life a living nightmare Literally, the word was the Magi, all right? So the Babylonian Magi were those people, those tattletales, right, who were watching Daniel's every move, making his life a living nightmare. And now they are here, right? So you'd grow up hearing about Daniel, noble Daniel, who predicted the Messiah, who resisted the pressures of being in exile. Those people that tortured Daniel, they're here, the Magi from Babylon, 500 years later. But thanks be to God, if you remember from the book of Daniel, Daniel was protected. He was protected by God. And God gave him, gave him the gift to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And God made him triumph and set him up over Babylon almost in the king's place. And because of that, the court magi, though they hated Daniel, they said, hey, maybe his holy scriptures have some good stuff in there. So for the next 500 years, they studied it. Daniel, I'm sure, would have taught them prophecies of a coming Messiah Christ, who is savior of not only his people, the Hebrews, but this word you keep hearing about, the nations, right? Maybe you'd be familiar with the Hebrew word, goyim, right? I don't know if you've ever been called a goyim or a goy, but that's what you are. You are the nations. You are not a Jew. And this is over and opposed to the word the people or the people, right? So, the, the faithful, the Jews, 
right? And in these Christmas accounts, we hear a lot about the people, right? God has come for the people and the nations. And these magi, they are the nations condensed into a nutshell. Our Isaiah reading. The nations will come from afar, men and women alike. They'll bring gifts, all of their riches, and they will belong to the king. And so, I'm sure they studied today's Isaiah reading and this star, this light. And they waited and they waited and they studied those stars. They followed Jewish politics from afar until a star appeared over Bethlehem. And an infant king from the line of David would then be born of a virgin. It all started to line up, fall into place. You see, God can and does make saints out of lowly and unlikely people. These magi were only wise men because they sought the true savior of all mankind. And they sought him by searching the scriptures and waiting for their fulfillment. They always thought that looking into the pools and, you know, doing divination techniques would be the way that they'd figure out what was important. But all along, it actually just boiled down to reading the scriptures and waiting. And that makes you wise. Things can seem super important. You can get all worked up and angry and you might want to react. But it turns out, and maybe you've realized this, things actually work out better if you don't react, read the scriptures, and wait. Maybe that's what makes you wise. You can be wise too. And you know how. And it's honestly, if you say you had never heard this story before, never heard this reading before, you would almost say, Pastor, they don't sound wise to me. How smart can they really be? Why couldn't they make it on their own to Jesus? They had the Bethlehem, they had the Jerusalem. Why did they need a star? Why would they go in and lay down all their cards and yell why they were there? Why would they cause a ruckus? If they were so smart, how come God had to warn them in a dream not to tell Herod where Jesus was? Because we're led to believe, right, that if God didn't warn them in a dream, they would have gone. They'd be like, hey, before we go, let's go tell Herod where Jesus is. The reason and the only reason they have this title wise is because of their shrewd knowledge and use of God's word, the scripture. God's revealed will. Psalm 119, when I read through the Psalms, always sticks out to me because of its focus on the word of God. In Psalm 119, verse 130 says, Thy words 
giveth light and understanding to the simple. Literally just saying, anyone can be wise if they have God's word. And that is the great and mighty wonder and the mystery. Even uneducated people, even people that are predisposed to not be smarter than others, can be wiser than most. By knowledge of the simple truths of the scriptures, Jesus is Lord. He is my king. He is Lord of my life. Because I have faith in him, everything's going to be all right. Jesus wins. I need not fear death. God cares for the sparrow. Why should I worry about what I eat and drink and wear? Simple truths make you wise. Simple trust, faith. And what's unique about God's word is that God's word is where Jesus Christ is found. And we see how these magi journey from far away to come and find Jesus where he is. And they find that out from the scriptures. We find out from the scriptures where to find Jesus in his words himself. In his sacraments, yes. But Paul tells us in Ephesians today that Christ is the key. Christ is the answer to the great mystery of the scriptures. He tells us that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ that we could even ever begin to understand the great mysteries of life, of day-to-day life, of knowledge, of philosophies, of scripture, the queen of it all. They're mysterious, yeah, until you realize by faith that they're all about Jesus Christ. And that's the wonder, that no matter what you're reading, you can find Jesus there. And Jesus is an end in himself. In Christ, we realize that the Old Testament actually was incomplete without the revelation that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Because of Jesus, it all makes sense now. Who was speaking in that burning bush? Who wrestled with Jacob? Who covered Adam and Eve with animal skins to cover their shame? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Epiphany. It's all come out of darkness into the light. Before Christ, if you wanted to worship the one true God of the Hebrews, you had to be circumcised. You had to follow the law of the Torah to a T. And you were always seen as a second-class citizen to the Jew in the synagogue. But in Jesus Christ, now everyone need repent. Everyone be baptized. Everyone need have faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. Everyone, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, a man or a woman, all of them, Christians, all of you must become a part, a member, that's the biblical language, a member of Christ's body, his church, to be grafted into, to be made part of something bigger than yourself. People connected to you 
by something stronger than blood. The word of God that makes you and draws you out of yourself and out of your self-interest into the lives and troubles and woes and joys and victories of other people. Jesus became incarnate as a little baby to come to his own people, yes, the Jews, but his own people knew him not. These three wise men, these magi, were Gentiles and non-Jews. They came from far, far away. And they knew exactly where Jesus was. All those people living in Jerusalem, all those Jews, they didn't know where Jesus was. And the three magi from far off, somewhere else, shouldn't have known, knew. They knew exactly where Jesus was because they studied his word. God makes saints. God makes Christians out of the most unlikely people. And these guys came from the extravagance of the Babylonian court. They came from the riches of Herod's palace to where a star was above a tiny village of Bethlehem in a shoddy barren house. And an old man who made ends meet as a carpenter opened a door when they knocked. And they came in and they saw a poor young girl holding a child. And the the text says, when they did that, they prostrated themselves all the way to the ground. They got down on their faces and they worshipped Jesus. The cards were stacked against the Magi. They were pagans. They were non-Jews. They lived far away from Jerusalem in a foreign culture that honored different things. But somehow they had eyes to see And those eyes to see were given them by study of God's word. And that is a gift. Their hearts saw what their eyes could not. And they presented three gifts. I wanted to make sure I mentioned them before closing in a sermon on Epiphany. Gold to recognize his kingship. Frankincense to accompany their prayers to recognize his divinity, and myrrh, a spooky omen that this little baby, who is king and God, he would patiently suffer and die as a sacrifice. Imagine Jesus offering up that incense to his heavenly father the first time he was old enough to lead family worship after his dad died. Imagine Mary keeping that myrrh and using some of its oil to prepare Joseph's body for burial and then some of it to prepare Jesus's body for burial. All of these were gifts fit for a king. A king who would die for the sins of all people, not just the people, the Jews, and not just the nations, the Gentiles, but all people. And his promise is that whoever believes in this death and this resurrection of his, and that he did those things for you, everyone who believes that, 
they will be called sons and daughters of the King. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.